Welcome back to Home Design Chat with Nancy. If you're remodeling or building a new home, you don't want to miss these podcasts. We share information about every component of your home, and you will learn everything from tile to lighting. Yes, we have it all. Well, we're going to do something different uh, today. This is going to be the first of four sessions of important tips for designing your own kitchen. Uh, We're going to have the first Wednesday of the next four months, uh, and you're going to learn a lot, especially if you're a do-it-yourselfer or if you're having your kitchen remodeled, you actually should know as much, if not more, than your uh, builder, and possibly you have a designer, and you can at least understand what they are suggesting for this new kitchen. But it's very important to know Um, what you're going to get. And also, there are so many mistakes that people make when they design their own kitchens, and we have seen designers that have made some mistakes. So I hate to say that, but, you know, we're not infallible. So um, I noticed that there are a lot of people getting their kitchens done now, so uh, you will learn a lot from these podcasts. But I'm not going to do this alone. I have a guest. I have a partner for these sessions. Jason Miller has 10 years of experience, and he has acquired certifications in interior design, lighting design services, and an interior merchandising degree. Wow. You're lucky that he's with me, so you learn a lot from him. Winner of the 2021 SKS and Architectural Design Digest Uh, Technicurian Kitchen Design Contest. Boy, that's a mouthful. Jason's winning design was selected and published in Architectural Digest, which is hard to get in there, folks. Um, It's not an easy task. Uh, His winning design was selected and published in um, several other magazines through Arizona, and his signature style is seen and spotlighted on many social media outlets. Pro Remodeler Magazine announced Jason as part of the top 40 under 40, which means he is young, in the nation in April of 2022. Out of 40 professionals featured, Jason is one of the eight interior designers in the nation featured in this group, and he is the only interior designer professional from Arizona. In addition, he has a beautiful wife and three little adorable kiddos. I don't know where he gets the time to do all this. But, Jason, thank you very much for being part of this. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, this is going to be a lot of information for people who are listening who are uh, going to remodel. Uh, how Now, I know you're busy with your own business. It seems like everybody's remodeling. Yes, Uh the biggest thing that I've seen over the last couple of years is that due to the certain circumstances we're in, a lot of people hate their house. They, they're stuck there. They were stuck there. They were building um, classrooms. They were building home offices. But majority of it, they were cooking in a kitchen that was not functional for them. They were showering in a bathroom that was not functional for them. And so over the last couple of years, we've seen a big uh, push to get kitchens, bathrooms, and total homes up to date, current for current family living. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're in the middle of that uh, supply chain problem. So, I keep saying, plan ahead. But as soon as you know what you want, order it. 
because yep. you don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, I have a client who waited one year for her refrigerator. She is very patient, and most of us aren't. So, yeah, so we have to deal with that. There's nothing you can do. You can't just say, okay, fine, I'll go somewhere else. Where are you going to go? Yeah. Right? Okay, let's get started. These are tips and ideas that we're going to give you. And for all of your do-it-yourselfers, I know there's a lot out there because they want to get it done. They want to save some money. And by the way, most do-it-yourselfers, and this is just an FYI, most do-it-yourselfers do this on a part-time basis. And so if you get a professional, it'll probably be done actual construction, start to finish, maybe three months. But when a do-it-yourself is doing it, it could take a year because you do it on weekends. So remember that. You might want to get some help there. You might want to get the plumber and the electrician, get the professionals, make sure that they're licensed, bonded, and insured because you certainly don't want anything as far as a fire or a flood to happen once the kitchen is completed. Do you agree with that, Jason? I do. So many headaches come from people that choose not to follow those key principles in design. And then it comes back to much longer kind of out of your home, out of your situation, out of your daily routines because of those those issues that do arise. Yeah. And don't get your cousin's friend's neighbor to do your electric or your plumbing because I have heard more often the problems uh, crossed wires. I did a house one time. He got his friend to help with the remodel, and they actually compromised the main glue lamp beam holding up the second floor. Now, when that happened, we had to replace it with a steel beam. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, his second floor and his first floor were going to meet. So don't forget, uh, you know, to use the professional. So where do we start? I know we were talking before we started recording. Um, Go ahead. Definitely. Well, Jump in. I think going back to your your, your comment about um, appliance lead times, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the biggest things that we, we talk about in, in kitchen design is the whole purpose of that space. It's mm-hmm. to cook, to refrigerate, to clean. And so when you're wanting to, to design your kitchen, those kind of things are the most important functions in that space. So in order for us to be able to create um, or for you to create um, what you want, those key elements, the appliances, need to be planned out in advance. Um, if you're wanting a standard 36-inch stove or if you want a 60-inch range or electric, gas, those things need to be planned out way in be- beforehand before you start picking cabinet colors. Yeah, certain um, manufacturers backwards. have a one-year lead time now. Yeah. So uh, there's no rush in designing, but choosing your appliances, yes, there is. A, that's an important element that you got to decide. Go shopping. Don't take six months to think about it because then you're going to be six months behind. So as you said, Jason, I totally agree. Get those appliances ordered, and then you can play with your plan on paper, knowing the sizes, right? Yeah. Well, any um, professional designer, um, remodeler, builder are going to need those specs specifically for what, what the room is going to be about. If you're a design, if you're a 
a hosting family. If you're a um, someone who loves to entertain, of course, you're going to want that 48-inch range, or you want that 60-inch range. You're going to have multiple pans going at the same time. If you're like some people that don't cook at all in a 30-inch uh, range is sufficient, those things are, are key and vital um, for the livelihood of that of that kitchen. And so as you're looking at those things, whether it be a, a matte black, a white, a black stainless, um, any kind of feature, um, those are things to take in consideration when you're actually planning out your, your model or your your wish list or your desired list. Right. I always tell people the three key uh, elements for picking out your appliance are budget. Let's face it, if you have X number of dollars to spend and the whole package that you're looking at is double your budget, you can't have, I mean, I would love to say, yeah, go ahead and have that 60-inch uh, range or the La Cornu <laughs> or, yeah. you know, something that, I mean, price them. An average, what, a 48-inch uh, freestanding, say, whether it's a Thermador or Sub-Zero um, monogram, they're going to run you fourteen, fifteen thousand. 15000 So yep. you have to look at your budget. You also have to look at the function. If you cook once a week, don't spend $15,000 for a stove. Yep. And space is important. As Jason and I were talking about, when you have a smaller kitchen, if your budget is not where you can push the walls out, you have to uh, proportionately put your appliances in that space so you have a given space. Now, if you said, yeah, but I'm going to double the size of my kitchen, well, then you're working with more space. But you have to be practical. So that's very important. Function, budget, and space. Yep. So uh, what about the landing spaces on, you know, we talk about cooking surfaces a lot, but uh, landing spaces are so important, right? Yeah. I think in, in the grand scheme of things, where am I prepping? Where am I throwing the groceries when I'm bringing them into the house? Where am I um, hosting? Where am I entertaining? Those landing spaces have specifically a function. And so as we're, we're taking consideration, we look at the, the desired want of that space and utilizing it properly to meet that need. Um, my wife is a baker, and so when it comes down to it, the ultimate dream for her is to have a, a space that is dedicated, number one, to her baking, baking bread, baking cookies. Um, but it's also going to be a gathering spot. We have three young kiddos, and so when she's rolling out dough, she wants my kids to be right there with her. She wants them to be able to experience mom baking, mom cooking. Um, and, and just in general, um, when it's not being used as a baking center, where are we throwing the groceries when they come in from the store? It, it's unpacking that. It's, it's homework stations. It's, it's pretty much that landing spot. Where, what is it going to be doing? Yeah. Um, but talking about those three kiddos, how many times have we seen a stove at the end of the counter? And the kids come in the kitchen, and there's a hot surface right there. So yeah. getting that stove um, in the middle of the run of countertops, don't ever put your stove at the end. 
especially no. if you're cooking and you have your pot handle facing out and somebody walks in the kitchen, hits the pot, the hot water can scald them. So yeah. we're also very um, cognizant about the safety issues. Yeah. I, I think the it's it's that's a true statement when you when you're talking about the importance of the function of that spot. It should be the center of that kitchen, whether it be in the center of an island or the center of a run and a perimeter wall. Um, tucking it away is important. Um, I think one of the things that that we talked about earlier was in 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 a home. Um, Zillow, I believe it was, um, mm -hmm. there is a house that has a refrigerator as you're walking into the kitchen and right next to it, I mean, right next to it, there's nothing breaking it. You have the refrigerator and panel, the panel that separates the two um, surfaces. And which then is made of wood. Which is made of wood. Right. You have the microwave above it, but I mean, there is no, there is nothing to buffer that stove from something else. So in, in the space planning of that, it is key to make sure that that cooking element, whether it be that stove or a microwave is not in, in a walk zone is not in, 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 in a, in a spot that is not functional. Yeah. Uh, well, as we said before too, how many times do you see the entry to the kitchen and right there is the double oven. So mm -hmm. as you're opening the oven, somebody's running into the kitchen and they will run into the oven door. Yeah. Poor planning, poor planning. You have to picture how the kitchen is going to work. Um, what about those triangles? Does that work? No, definitely not. I mean, the, one of the key things that I look at is how that triangle works. Is it going to take me 20 steps to get from my sink to my stove? I'm carrying a pot of water for pasta, carrying it from the stove, which is hot after I've cooked that pasta. And am I taking it across the room? Am I going from the stove around a big island to my refrigerator? Is that practical? So when you're looking at that working triangle, does it function properly? Can you get to point A to point B within a matter of steps? Is it possible that you can go to all three within seconds of each other? Those that are only the kind works of, if you have a small kitchen, right? It does. It yeah. does. If you have a really large kitchen, of course, you'll be taking a little bit more steps, but the placement of those, of those appliances are going to be key and vital. So those large kitchens um, present, I don't want to say a problem, but a challenge with design. So mm -hmm. what, as designers, we do is create task areas. So a task area, whether it's a bake center or a prep area, would be um, onto itself. Uh, if you find that you bake a lot and you need the butter or the milk or the cream or whatever, you might use a little under-counter refrigerator by your bake center, and you might have a sink there so that you could wash your hands, wash the utensils, and so whatever is practical. Then you create task areas, save steps. It's more functional and practical, and it looks pretty, mm -hmm. right? Well, you just dedicate more time to different functions in that kitchen. Exactly. 
Yeah, for safety and for function and for aesthetics. Well, talking about appliances, I want to talk about Monogram's appliances. They do have smart appliances, and they offer an app that you can put on your smartphone called Smart HQ App. And this actually can control your appliances from your dishwashers to your um, refrigerators to your double ovens or your single oven, whatever. But as I tell you each week, you can't have a smart app if you don't have smart appliances. And of course, you can become a smart person with a smart phone. You can get your smart app, but have smart appliances and vice versa. You can have smart appliances, but you can't use your phone if you don't have the app. So that's really important. Just learning all those things is a challenge, for me anyway. And so if you want to learn more about Monogram's smart appliances, go to monogram.com, or you can visit your local showroom and have somebody show you how it works, and also check out their appliances. They're coming out with some really good stuff, and I'll be doing a podcast with the My Monogram guy in a couple of weeks. So, um, okay, let's get back to, um, well, you think we exhausted the safety on appliances. Maybe we should go to the cabinets themselves. Um, we were talking about construction, Jason, right? Yep. I think one of the, the one of the key things I look at when I'm designing a kitchen, which I think would be beneficial for anyone that's wanting to do that, is to picture yourself in your ultimate design, uh, the ultimate desire of what you want. Picture yourself as you're cooking, as you're cleaning, as you're putting away things. Those are kind of the things that I, I view myself in um, as I'm discussing the function. Um, and so as I kind of lay out, I start with my base cabinets. I start with those and kind of work my way around the perimeter of the, of, the, of the room. Then I go to my upper cabinets. In some cases, there are base corners. Some base corners are phenomenal to work with. Some of them are nightmares. Uh, you have diagonal walls. You have 90-degree walls. And so when I look at those, my base cabinets um, in those corners um, are the most successful when they are put to use. Um, and so the biggest thing that I've experienced is when designing for a base corner, um, they are a blessing or a, or a curse. 90 degrees are, are optimal because you can do a base blind and then do a uh, base blind optimizer. Oh, so let's let's such... explain a base blind. I call yeah. it a blind corner. Oh, blind um, corner, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so... Then, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah. when you get modular cabinets, you can get a blind corner cabinet in different lengths. Now, it's a little confusing to figure out how to lay it out, but whatever. If you have the space, you want to get the biggest door for your blind corner cabinet. Now, these 12 or 15-inch doors don't work because you can't get in that space to see what you've stored in that cabinet. So the bigger the door, the more accessible that corner is. Now, sometimes you don't have the space for a big blind corner cabinet. Uh, sometimes if you have a smaller kitchen and you have the dishwasher and you have the sink cabinet, what are you going to do? Sometimes you have to use a, a Lazy Susan cabinet because those doors are 12 inches. 
So, so, I mean, you know, it sounds easy when people say, oh, you design a kitchen. Well, that must be fun. There's a lot of math involved in this. There's a lot of figuring out, almost like Legos. How do I put this puzzle together so that you are happy and it works, it's functional, and it looks nice? Right, Jason? Of course. Um, So talking about Lazy Susans, I know you said that you don't like the Lazy Susan where the doors, and they're they're at a 90 degree and they're 12 inches, and they go around with the tray of the Lazy Susan. Mm-hmm. Not so good, right? Not so good. And, and the reasons why is because in cases, if you have an appliance down there that has a cord, um, or you have a really heavy appliance or a dish that is off kiltering, it basically throws off the, the levelness of that. It basically just jars that door in there, and then it's a pain to get out. And so the best use of a Lazy Susan is the one that's hinged um, and comes away from the, the appliance itself or the, the actual mechanism that rotates. Yeah. Right. So to explain that, they take the two 12-inch doors that, that are 90 degrees, and they're connected by a piano hinge. And then one door is connected to the cabinet. So when you pull on the door, you kind of unfold it, and you can see the whole uh, shelf of the Lazy Susan. Actually, the Lazy Susan has two shelves, but it's more accessible. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest getting a solid tray because they do have those wire trays, but people have had things drop through them. And so I know we're describing this like, oh, don't buy any Lazy Susans. Uh, sometimes you have no choice. I mean, that's the, the animal that has to go in the corner. Yeah. And like I, I design kitchens with Lazy Susans plenty of times and they, they work fine as long as it's the right one. And it's it's using it's if it's used properly. Yeah. Um, you know the advantage of a galley kitchen, and I know a lot of people go, "Oh, I got a galley kitchen. How am I going to work right. this?" Galley kitchens don't have any corners, <laughs> so that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what about um, now? You got the cabinets. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about the cabinets going to the ceiling. What choices do they have? So, I mean, you have three choices. You have one that's basically open all the way to the ceiling. You have um, the the chance where you're coming to a soffit, um, as well as um, it's basically just open all together. So you have different heights that you can be able to choose from. You have um, optimal, which is kind of, kind of standard right now, anywhere from 36-inch uppers to 42 um, and so you have, if, if you have an open concept where there's nothing obstructing those cabinets, you can take them all the way up to 42-inch uppers, be able to get a lot of stuff in those cabinets, and, and be able to utilize that kitchen a little bit better when it comes down to the height of those cabinets. Mm. I did a kitchen where the uh, ceilings were high um i can't remember were they 10 or 12 foot but she wanted as much storage as possible so we stacked 18 inch cabinets on top of 42s Uh, those are that's a 60 that's five foot of cabinet going Mm -hmm. to the ceiling now think about that the woman was five foot tall (laughs) and so 
you're paying for storage that you may never ever open up once you put your stuff there. And I, mm-hmm. I like people to be aware that if you're paying just to store your stuff that you're not going to use, that's a lot of money wasted. Looks nice, but you know if you, well, you can put that money towards better appliances. So exactly, yeah. So um, and sometimes. When you go to the ceiling and you have high ceilings, it's a little overwhelming. Now, these cabinets happen to be white, so it was very open. But you have to think about that, too. What size upper cabinet? Now, years ago, the 30-inch cabinets, 30 inches high, were the common cabinet. Now I walk into a kitchen with 30-inch cabinets, and you think, wow, they look like mini cabinets. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many things that you have to know about cabinets. What about those cabinets years ago that used to be over the refrigerator, 12 inches deep, and people used to pile stuff on top of the refrigerator, and if they wanted to get into the cabinet over the refrigerator, they couldn't because they had so much stuff stacked on their refrigerator. So now you know what we do, Jason. Yeah, we basically pull that cabinet out 24 inches deep, or 27, depending upon if you want to take that that cabinet further and be able to utilize that as um, a storage space for uh, cookie sheets, for appliances, things like that. But you, the, the biggest thing is I remember growing up and seeing my cereal boxes on top of that was where the cereal was oh and, and that now, was the thing <laughs> yeah that that's where it was and so we knew that we could always grab that cereal but now pulling that cabinet out it just makes it look so much more custom mm-hmm. and then it just kind of frames that cabinet or that the refrigerator to make it look like a, a piece of furniture right well remember people your refrigerator is the large box in the room you know it's like the elephant in the room yeah. and so what we try to do is camouflage it a lot of times we'll put the panels to match the doors on the um, doors of the refrigerator or if you want stainless steel that's fine but what we do is bring panels on both sides that kind of hug the upper cabinet and the refrigerator. So the refrigerator looks built in. So that's, yeah, and I like that look. I I don't like, I just saw one on Zillow, you know. I do look at Zillow a lot and try to think, oh, my God, why did they do that? But there was a really nice kitchen, and then they stuck the refrigerator all by itself at the end of the cabinet run, which looks like the orphan appliance. Yeah. So try to build in. I think one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that when you're basically doing those refrigerator end panels on that appliance, Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that that panel exceeds the depth of your countertop. Um, when you're putting your countertop on and that panel exceeds the depth, your countertop dies directly into the side of that panel for a nice clean look. Versus if your panel was 24 inches, the same depth as your lower cabinets. Now you have this weird kind of cut where this either your countertop fabricator is going to try to fabricate this little corner around the face of that that panel 
just pop that out 27 inches and then dye your countertop straight into the side of that and it makes it look so much more cleaner. You don't have any issues with your refrigerator door opening and hitting it. And it just makes it look more custom. It makes it look like a custom piece. Yeah. The purpose of what we're doing with these sessions is to, number one, familiarize you with the jargon in the industry and then give you the hints and tips so that you know what's going on. So I wanted to go back to that countertop. What they do is wrap the countertop around the frame of the end panel. It's called a horn. And we don't use that anymore. It's so much easier to pull that panel, 27 inches, and then dye your countertop into the panel. And so now that we've explained some of these things, when you look at your friends and neighbors' kitchens or when you go on Zillow, you can actually point out the things that we're talking about. We want your kitchen to look more professional. Well, talking about professional, I want to talk about Studio 41. You know, they're kind of unique. They have 13 showrooms in Illinois and one in Scottsdale, and they have the most beautiful showrooms that offer plumbing, cabinets, cabinet hardware, uh, shower doors, mirrors, uh, everything you can think of to complete your project. I use them in Scottsdale exclusively. I um, am just enamored over their selection of cabinet hardware. So unfortunately, if you don't live in Illinois or Scottsdale or somewhere around Scottsdale, you can still go on their website. It's called shopstudio41.com. You can see what they have and you can purchase online. So again, stop, shop studio41.com. You will love their selections. Well, Jason, let's see. We talked about a lot of stuff on this session. I hope we didn't overwhelm people. Now, we can either jump into islands or we can save that for our next session. And I'm thinking we can save that for our next session because we've filled everybody with probably more information that they've, than they know. Um, but it's all important information. This is stuff that you really need to know when you're um, remodeling your kitchen. Now, case yeah. in point, I have a customer that didn't know a frame cabinet from a frameless. Did we explain yeah. that? Yeah. Um, basically, I mean, you have your cabinet box, and the, the component that's holding your door on is either going to be on a frame or on the box itself. Um, and so when it comes down to it, frame cabinets give you more of a traditional transitional look. Sometimes um, a frameless can also give you that based on the door style that you're choosing. Now, frameless is basically there is no frame that's framing the box of that cabinet. And so you have more functionality when it goes what's in there. Um, there isn't anything hinging or anything pin, pinning anything in that cabinet. Now, you might say, well, how do I know if I have a frame or frameless? Well, go into your kitchen, and if you have space between your doors and you open the doors and you see a frame around the box of the cabinet, you can put your finger um, where the hinge is behind that frame, you have a frame cabinet. Now, years ago, in order to save money, I hate to say this, they used to make smaller doors and bigger frames. So... 
I've seen cabinets where they have too many inches between the doors, and that center style divides the space of the cabinet on the left side and the right side, whereas if you had a frameless cabinet, you can open the doors, and if it's 36 inches wide, you would have no center style. Now, bearing in mind, if you think you're going to get no center style on a 48-inch wall cabinet, it's not going to happen, because why? We all know... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, oh. the biggest thing is that you can't fit much in that cabinet. You well, can't. you're going to get bowed shelves. Yep. So you don't want bowed shelves. And the only thing you can put on there not to bow the cabinet shelves is um, paper plates because they're not heavy. So, you know, those are things that you've got to know. And uh, another, let's throw out the basic thing about spacing between the countertop and the upper cabinets. We know what that is. Yeah, it's 18 inches. Um, being able to put um, a small appliance on the top of a countertop without it being too close to the, the bottom of the cabinet. I've gone into kitchens that were built in the 40s, and they were given 15 or 16 inches. And the big complaint was, I can't get my coffee maker in there. I can't put anything under there. So 18 inches is standard. And of course, if you're a tall person, you can go 20. Mm -hmm. I can't, but you can. Because I'm small. <laughs> well, I think we're going to leave the uh, ins and outs of the island for the next session, which will be published the first Wednesday of August. Jason will be back with me. Jason, I want to thank you for taking your time to do this and be part of this, um, I want to call it Kitchens 101 for the do-it-yourselfers. Well, it's my pleasure. I enjoy stuff like this and, and, and just sharing information as, as much as I can. Great. And hopefully after the fourth session, we will get questions, not to say you can't email me any questions, but hopefully you'll have enough questions where we can do a whole program of questions to help you design your kitchen. And, you know, designing kitchens is really fun. I know Jason gets a thrill out of it. Uh, design is my passion. I get a real good feeling when I see the completed job. It's not as hard as people think, although we do it every day, so it's easy for us. But, uh, you know, we say good luck. And if you come to a point where you just don't know what to do, the best thing to do is get a kitchen designer. Yeah. yeah, don't try this at home by yourself if you just get confused. You want to make sure that you have all of the safety features, you follow the codes of your state or your city or whatever, and you do everything right. So I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. And please subscribe on the platform you're using to listen to these podcasts. And don't forget to share them with your friends, especially if you have friends who are remodeling. If you want to learn more about me, Go to nancyhugo.com, and I might update my website one of these days, and I'll work on it. And if you have any questions for me or for Jason, email me at nancy at nancyhugo.com. Again, Jason, thank you very much. It was a pleasure doing this podcast with you, and I look forward to the next one. And everybody stay safe and have a great day.